This is the Can Crushers Wrestling Podcast. The following contest is scheduled for one fall. Let's go nuts! It's Jimmy Nuts! Right out of the door! With your host, Mark Martinez. Because I'm the Mark. And I'm awesome! The Guru. Today I'm going to break it down for all you simpleton sweat hogs listening out there in Can Crusher Nation. I don't mean to come out here week after week and toot my own horn, but toot, toot. And the English professor. It is I, the English professor from the County of Kings, speaking the English of the Queen. Hey, this is former WWE superstar Duke, the Dumpster Drossy, and you are listening to the Can Crushers Podcast. And welcome back to another edition of Can Crusher Spotlight. Again, the English professor is via satellite in studio, right, John? How are you? I'm doing great, and like we said last time, if I'm here, that, that means it's serious business, and this is serious business, isn't it? This is serious business that came up real quick. This was boom, we had to do it, and we're getting it done. Because if you listen to last week's spotlight, it was with the author of Lance by Chance, the story of Lance Von Eric. Well, my people got in touch with Vinny's people that got in touch with the one, the only. John, he's an enigma that's been out of wrestling uh, of people's eyes for 30-plus years. Lance Von Eric is joining us on Can Crushers today. That is correct. This is awesome. This is going to be uh, a great interview. Uh, we got some terrific insight from Mr. Barry last time. Um, all I want to do, I think, is maybe dig a little bit deeper, again, without uh, digging too deeply, uh, because we want people to buy the book. Speaking of which... Um, I did read some of, uh, all of what you sent me, actually. Good boy! It, it is, it's a page turner. It really is, and I cannot wait to get, uh, my hands on my own copy. Right, and I, spoiler, John, uh, Vinny said he's gonna send you one because I probably dropped the ball when I was telling. So, see, this is actually ends up my problem, my fault. But I got the book, and I didn't tell him I should have sent one to you as well. But Vinny's gonna take care of it, send you a book. Nice! So I'm getting my own copy. You are! That's awesome! So, you're gonna read it in one day. You're going to read it in one day. I'm it's sure that damn good. If I can, you read ten times better than me, so you're going to read it better. I don't want to say anything. All right. Uh, why don't we hear from Al Snow, Collar and Elbow. Yeah, sure. Hats, hoodies, tees, amazing uh, wrestling apparel. Can Crushers, all one word, capital C and can, capital C and Crushers, and you save 10%. Let's get rid of Al, and let's bring Lance in. Wrestling a love and a passion we all share. I've started a wrestling brand, the wrestling brand. A brand founded on the aspects of wrestling. Two entities working together to create a product that connect emotionally for people everywhere. Collar and elbow is the brand. Passion and love for wrestling is the drive. I am Al Snow, and this is Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand. And welcome back, listeners. It is I, the English professor, joined by your host, Mark the Mark Martinez. Uh, if you guys listen to our last spotlight, you'll know that we spoke with the uh, author, Mr. Vincent Berry, uh, the author of Lance by Chance. And we got some great information on um, what was going on, not just in, in Portland and Dallas, but all over the world uh, as far as Lance Vaughn's career is concerned. Um, no offense to Mr. Berry, but I think, Mark, we did one better this week, because we have the man himself, uh, the subject of the book, Lance by Chance, uh, Lance Vaughn. Thank you so much for taking the uh, the time to join us today on Can Crushers. 
Hey, great to be on your show. Actually, um, I'm sitting here out in Mexico looking at the ocean and my golf course, so weather's great here. I'm guessing it's a little colder where you are. A little bit. Yeah, I had snow flurries this morning, so it's definitely a little colder up here in uh, the deep woods of Pennsylvania. (laughs) So, Mark, you had a chance to, to read the book, and you read it in one sitting, cover to cover, um, I don't know if you, if I should admit this, you may be breaking some copyright laws here, but you snapped some pictures, you sent me some pages to read, uh, and what I read is every bit as good as you said it was, um, and you're absolutely right that this isn't one of those books uh, where anybody calls anybody out or has a crossword to say about anybody, it is just one man's experience uh, in the wrestling business. And what I read, I thoroughly enjoyed, and I cannot wait to get my hands on a, a copy of it myself. Yeah, Lance Lance tells a story, and it's... I told you during the podcast last week that I, I kind of, you know, broke my heart what they put him through a, a little bit. So let's, let's bring Lance in some more to talk about this, and we'll get deeper into the book. First, Lance, um, we've been working with Vinny for a little bit of time, not as much as you. How is it working with Mr. Barry? Because he seems like he could be a handful once in a while, isn't he? Hey, he sure is. Well, listen, you know, I didn't want to do, I mean, I had many, many people actually ask me to, to write a book. And funny enough, I don't know why, but Vinny kind of hit me up and there was something about him that was a little bit different than everyone else and I said well I'll give this guy a shot and uh he did really really I think he did a really good job he sure did he sure did what were your before we tackled the book again what were your thoughts on the way that he relayed your stories then do you think he did complete justice I mean you know where we are that do you think he did complete justice from what you said and how he put it to words oh I think uh amazing job you know the problem was there's so much uh, information that I gave him, we had to kind of go through and we, you know, go through and condense it because it's not only about the book, but it's about what I was able to do after the wrestling outside the country and uh, a lot of opportunities that came my way, which I would have never had if I hadn't, uh, first of all, wrestled. Um, maybe things could have come out a little bit different if I had listened in Portland and had done it the way uh, uh, Don Owen had uh, suggested. But anyway, it, it worked out great for me. I had a fantastic life and still living the life. Yeah, and that's so. a great segue for us because I was going to jump right into Portland right off the bat. Um, do you have – you can read it in the book, and we don't want to give a lot of the book away because we're here to sell books for you and Vinny. Um if you would have stayed in Portland, do you think you would have taken more of Don's expertise and maybe tried to tackle the WWF and see where that went? Or, uh, you know, can you expand on the Portland years a little, you know, six months, not really years, um, more that, you know, you, you just, you were gun ho for WCCW, but did you have any inkling in your mind saying, maybe I should give this Portland and WWF try a, a try well what happened was that uh don owen had said listen they're gonna you know like everyone else had told me they said listen if you're going to go to work in world class they're just gonna you know use you and abuse you um and you need to stay here in portland and you know learn your craft here where it's not on a big television you know because world class went to the middle east and you know all over um, the channel 39 on the Christian station was big. And, uh, he said, listen, you got a really, really good shot at, you know, breaking into, uh, Denver Grand territory, but you can't just go straight to, you know, being a, a superstar without learning. And you're going to have a lot of television exposure and you're going to have a lot of people's eyes on you. So you need to actually, um, you need to actually, you know, do your time here. And he wanted me there because I was drawing houses. Right, right. And 
was it good having like Billy Jack Haynes in your pocket right off the bat since he was kind of the mega superstar up there? You had Steve Simpson and all those guys. Were they really on your side pushing you for that main event roster in Portland as well? Yeah, everybody was, you know, trying to give me a push in Portland and everybody was, you know, working with me and, you know, quite frankly, I think I would have looking back, I would have learned a lot more in Portland as well if I just stuck around. There was a lot of good wrestlers that were, you know, coming through there. And I know that uh, Vinny had, had written about uh, Jerry Gray, who you know, had the patience and and also uh, Sandy Barr to actually work with me. And as much time as I wanted to put in, they would be there too. Uh, Lance, it's John. Um... I wanted to ask you, I've read the, the part about your meeting with Fritz and your words and the way Mr. Barry put it to paper. You guys really did a nice job of painting the picture there with Fritz smoking two cigarettes at the same time and just the short, quick questions. You know, are you athletic? I, I could almost hear the words coming from him. Was he as kind of hard-nosed and, and crusty as he came across on TV? Yeah, I, I I think he was not too approachable for most people. He did take a, a bit of a liking to me, uh, but he wasn't, you know, for most people, he wasn't very approachable, and you know, a lot of people were nervous around him. You know, and he really didn't have a whole lot to do at that time with the day-to-day operation. He left it to... Uh, David Manning and Rick Hazard and uh, and Ken, and uh, you only saw him, at least me, only once a week. You know uh, that I would see him, and sometimes not even that. He lived up in the Sportatorium, and it's kind of funny. Uh, I'll never forget. I had friends in Israel, and they actually had come to visit. Uh, the Sportatorium, and they'd seen the Sportatorium on television thinking that this place is just going to be great. And they, when they got there, you know, it was a bit of a fire trap dump, you know, and his office was on the second floor upstairs, and there was, you know, the whole office was, even though we knew where everything was, it was just looked like a, a whirlwind had gone through there. You know, just, you know, I know that he knew, I mean, I knew that he knew where everything was, but it if you went up there, it just was old and musty and kind of dirty. I don't know if you'd ever been in the sportatorium, but not anything what one would imagine that uh, television would be coming out of. No, uh, we recently, well, last year at this time, we were part of a WCCW panel at WrestleCade. I don't know if you uh, were asked about this or heard about it where um, – Mr. Beard, Mr. Manning, Garvin, Black Bart, uh, a lot, Eric Embry, a lot of guys along with Baby Doll were all part of it, and they kind of answered questions and everything. And being younger, seeing on ESPN uh, replays, even the WWE Network now, the Sportatorium looked like a little Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I only found out last year that, like you just said, that it was a hole in the wall. When it was hot, you guys were on fire in the ring. And when it was cold, you guys should have wore blankets in the ring because it was freezing. There was no happy medium with this dump as everybody's calling it anymore. Well, and you know where it was in that part of uh, town was actually in the, the kind of one of the, it backed up to one of the most, probably one of the worst parts of town of, I guess you can't call that Dallas. And, uh, you know, I mean, truly, it was a fire hazard. And, you know, I don't know if you ever noticed, but the ring, the ropes were very short, too. So to work in that ring was is, was pretty difficult, just in the simple fact that it was much shorter than normal. You know, the turnbuckles were short, you know, lower down, and the ropes lower down than uh, most of the other places. Uh, Lance, when we spoke with... Uh... Mr. Barry and Mark alluded to this earlier. He mentioned Portland and, and asked if you would have uh, maybe preferred staying there. And as he put it, kind of got your legs under you a little bit. Um, Mr. Barry had suggested that maybe you had wished you hadn't passed through Dallas at all. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Because in reading what Mark sent me, you did have some nice things to say about people that, that really helped you out and pulled you aside and wanted you to be better, wanted you to do your best. Um, so is it, 
fair to say, despite how everything turned out, you wish it wouldn't have worked out the way it did? No, I was saying that it, looking back, it, not that I wished it had turned out any different. Looking back, uh, it could have been very different. Me going to the, you know, the world, to, uh, WWF and working for McMahon. But I'm happy the way things turned out because like I said, you know, I got to, you know, travel all over the world and actually, you know, in the, in the South African circuit, you know, I was, actually making more money than I was in uh in in Dallas. And I liked it a lot better than Dallas. I liked Portland a lot better than Dallas as well. The place itself, not uh maybe not the you know, the, the just the area. You know, Oregon's beautiful, South Africa's beautiful, so Right. Yeah, the the landscape you mean of uh the area, yeah. Uh, was it, this is the big question because I'm not Mark. I really am Mark the Mark. Was it really the rock star life? I mean, I, I want to know more about that. If you can maybe give us one story that's not in the book, that's, you know, holy moly, this is what I was out doing, you know, on weekends and, you know, without giving anything that you don't want away, but just a, a big story that's how, much of a rock star you guys were in the 80s compared to, you know, some of the WWE guys or WWF back then weren't there yet because world class was, you said it, was traveling before anybody else was. Yeah, did you get some of the some of the same treatment Carrie and Kevin and David were getting on their way to the ring uh, with, with girls pulling them in, uh, in every direction? Yeah, and even more so, actually. The only person I think, you know, if you, if you ask the, the boy, well, there's only one left, but, uh, you know, I got more, um, I think more attention than any of them except for Kerry. And obviously Kerry, you know, uh, as far as because of his body and everything, and he'd been on television forever. I do know that uh, one of the, we were in, uh, Israel. I, when I went over to Israel, which is in part of the book, and I'm not going to give away any of that that happened to us in Israel the first time. But, um, you know, when I went, uh, there was, I went the second time to Israel and I actually did a, um, you know, I got there before everybody else. And I actually had 30,000 people at the airport to meet me. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. And at the hotel that I was staying at, I had people, you know, like, I'll never forget, I had a woman that actually called me on the telephone and made a trip just to see me. And uh, I actually let her in my room, and she started taking off her clothes. And I, <laughs> I was like, stop. <laughs> you know, and she said, no, i gotta, I got to make love for you. And I'm like, you know, and I had a friend that was, uh, I think I talked about him in the book named Rossi. And I called him, and I said, you got to help me. You know, because this girl was just taking her clothes off, and she just you know, refuse not to to leave until I actually sit. I've, I've driven two hours here to get here, and I'm going to have sex with you before I leave. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and she was good looking, but, you know, I just found it kind of crazy. And she actually driven, well, she was in a, a taxi. She took a taxi for two hours. The taxi was waiting out there, and Rafi came in and said, listen, you, he's got something to do. You're going to have to leave. And she um, had told me that, well, told Rocky, well, he needs to pay for the taxi because if he's not going to have sex with me, then, you know, I've got to have the, the taxi ride back paid. Oh uh, so that's just kind of a, you know, a many, many times that happened in Israel. I mean, not exactly like that, but just many things like that have happened. So, yeah, it was, you know, it was it was crazy at the same time. It was you know, uh, I don't know if, and I actually don't even know if I talked about it in the book, but uh, Sylvester Stallone was there at the same time shooting uh, um, uh, the Rambo movie. Oh, wow. And I think that when we were there, when we were there, we were actually more over than Sylvester Stallone was. You know, we had as many people actually at our hotel trying to meet us as uh, Sylvester Stallone had. So that's the kind of, you know, in certain parts of the world, that's, that's how far, you know, how much we were over. 
your your book tells a great story about you being in the ring with uh, Abdullah the Butcher, uh, and you said that wasn't exactly your style the the forks and the bleeding and the biting and everything. Um, were right. you just were you just not interested in that in that sort of thing for for health reasons or you didn't want to mess up the good looks? Well, you know, first of all, I was wrestling barefooted like uh, Kevin was, and it wasn't because I actually wanted to wrestle barefoot and copy him. It was because I hated putting on those boots. And anyway, you know, so being barefooted, and you know, that was the very first. I mean, at that time, you know, AIDS was just coming out, and you know, everybody was worried about that, and and you know, uh, hepatitis is a big one, and he, I think that actually he ended up having hepatitis later on in his career. I mean, that's not me, but that's what many people have have said over the over the years that he had had hepatitis, and so maybe still have it. I don't know, um, but I was always worried about getting you know, a disease, so I didn't want to cut myself. Right. Not to mention I'm also fairly, fairly vain. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't know if you know who Bobby Jaggers was or, yeah. you know, if you look at some of these guys that cut their head, man, it's horrible. Look at, look at Dusty Rhodes. He's probably one of the best ones. That scar has never healed, you know, until the yeah. day he passed. Yeah. Yeah, he's another example. Him, uh, yeah, there's many of them, but yeah, he, Dusty was another one that did that. So you, so yeah, for me, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. He, John talked about Abby. Um, I, I also, I love the story that you put in about Chris Adams. Chris Adams was um, one of my favorite heels in world class. Uh, the story that you have in the book where he super kicked the guy in the hotel, and we'll leave it at that as a teaser. Um, Vinny did tell some of the story on our last podcast, but if you didn't listen to it, man, you got to read the book and or listen to the podcast. What do both. Else, yeah, we'll do both. What What else can you tell us about Chris Adams? Because, uh, of course, we see him very dignified, you know, in the ring, and then a little bit crazy when he turns heel with my air quotes. But... What else can you tell us about Chris Adams that, you know, that story was a shocker to me. Oh, well, I, uh, Vinny, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, did we, uh, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, I was also on a, on a, uh, airplane that kind of was, uh, hijacked, and that has to do with him, so you'll have to read the, you know, you'll have to read part of the book to actually, or read the book to, to hear about that, but that has a lot to do. Chris was in that story, uh, and it had a lot, a lot to do with him as well. Wow. Um, okay. Now, I really can't a, wait to... He was to a good guy. I like, I like Chris. The only problem with, with Chris was when he got, you know, when he got uh, too much alcohol in him, he just wasn't the most pleasant person to be around. One, one more story um, about the book that Vinny actually gave away, Lance. Um, no, it, Vinny's going to smack me over the phone with that one. But he read the passage uh, about you meeting Ric Flair in Portland and you meeting him again later. Uh, and then what he said, kind of the whole, you know, world class is going to work the, you know, the hell out of you, more or less. Um, did, that, did that sink in? At that time, when Flair told you, or did you go back years later and say, "Damn, Flair! Flair had this pegged to a T." Uh, you know, did you give it thought right then and there? Is what I guess I'm asking you. That way, no, you know, it hadn't really dawned on me. I was, quite frankly, you know, I don't have anything bad to say about any of those people. Um, you know, I was pretty close to Carrie. The rest of them, not so much. Um. And, you know, I don't have a lot of good memories of that time. And I really don't, you know, I kind of pushed that out of my mind because it wasn't like I, you know, I was, I grew up wanting to be a wrestler. That wasn't the idea at all. It just happened to be at, I was at the wrong place at the right time, I guess, or actually (laughs) the right place at the wrong time. I don't know. But, uh, But everyone told me that. It wasn't only him. It was... You know, Billy Jack Haynes, is anybody that's, you know, uh, the Road Warriors, many people were like, you know, you, you don't know what you got yourself into or you're getting yourself into. It depends on where I was in the, you know, in the, 
Your body today is better than ours has ever been, so we can't compare <laughs> at all. So you're in amazing shape. So we're not going to talk about bodies, that's for sure. Well, I meant when I was wrestling, you know, because right. I'm actually now I'm in better shape than I was for sure back then. Right, right. Much better shape, actually, than so, when I was wrestling what at that time in, in the States, actually. One of the misconceptions, and it's it's put to it's put the rest in the book that once um, Fritz came out and broke kayfabe, um, that you had already signed with the rival organization, and you wanted to you know put it the to Fritz and the the Von Erics. Um, it's touched on in the book, but I want you to get your piece. You know, right now, if people don't buy the book and they're only listening to the podcast, to put that to rest to say that wasn't your. That wasn't your doing, that you were going to put uh, World Class down just because you still wanted to wrestle and work a little bit, right? No, I think that what they were afraid of was that I was going to go to the WWF. In reality, that's what they were afraid of. And, you know, if they would just have left things alone, I would have just sailed off into the sunset and be done, you know? Uh, because I had no I had no desire to... to actually bring any, you know, uh, to, 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 to expose them or anything. And, you know, the funny thing is, the kayfabe is, you know, the K, what they what they did is crazy. And, the, you know, the, I know that a lot of the fans got upset, you know, but if you look at wrestling as a whole, you know, and everything, it, it's all kayfabe. Nobody, I mean, it's all, it's all fake. You know, and it's all everybody's, somebody's cousin or brother or whatever, and they never said anything about anybody else. It's just the Von Erich. And even that, you know, like, <laughs> it just amazes me that, you know, that the, the fans would get mad at that. that. That was another point that I wanted to bring up, like, you know, the junkyard dog's not a dog. Uh, <laughs> Iceman Parsons. I mean, everything has that kayfabe still in it. Even to this day, even though they say, you know, kayfabe is dead. But why Why do you think it was all thrown on you? I, well, because, the, you know, at that time, the Von Harris could do no wrong. And I just think that people wanted to believe in them so bad, even though, you know, I mean, like, for the instance, you know, uh, how David died, you know, the way it was presented and what's really so, you know, it may not necessarily be the same. And you know what? They believed how they, you know, they they betrayed it, what happened. Right. You know? Um, so, I, I, you know, I think they just wanted to believe in them so bad that, uh, you know, they... they a lot, you know, it's bubble gum for the eyes. That's what it is. You know, wrestling as a whole, and that doesn't matter where you're at where, during that time, anyway. You know, it was, you know, it was what it was. People watched it because it was entertainment, but they, you know, I remember people arguing, "Well, it's, it's no, it's all real." I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, they were some of them believed that everything that they saw was real. At, uh, I asked Mr. Barry this the last time, and I'd love your perspective on this. Um, Kevin Von Erich has made it clear then, continued to make it clear. He was at the very least apprehensive um, about uh, Lance Von Erich, you know, his cousin coming into WCCW. Um, did anybody ever approach you before, after, during? Because Mark and I have met a bunch of wrestlers, and obviously they change nationalities, they change names, and we see them now. Are you really so-and-so's brother? Are you so-and-so's cousin? Did anybody ask you, did anybody put you on the spot back then or, or blow your cover or anything like that? No, actually, yeah. I, maybe one time somebody had said something, you know, like, 
if I remember correctly, are you really, you know, because they, they had known, uh, uh, the Atkinsons, not Inc. Their real name's not even Von Eric. Actually, I'm closer to their, to their Von Eric than they were. <laughs> you know, I know the truth. I mean, we fight, first true. part of my name was Von. You know? Uh, so, you know, these people have gone to school with him, I guess, and they said, are you really a good cousin? You know, and because we've never heard of you before, blah, blah, blah. That's the only time that ever happened. Wow. And I guess the fact that if they're yeah, even believe, as... Kev, Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, even Kevin, you know, I mean, he says, I guess now, I haven't talked to him since I left, and I, when I left, I was just done. I just... You know, I'd had an injury. Lord the Barbarian had thrown me into a, or brought me, uh, and I had a shoulder injury. And I took the time off, and then I just didn't want to go back. I just, I had enough. You know, nothing, I can't say anything bad about the Von Erics. And, you know, if I'd stayed in there long enough, you know, made with the Von Erics, then maybe I would have, you know, because obviously they all kind of, well, they all died. You know, so maybe if I'd stayed in there, everything would have worked out for me. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, with world class, but I don't think they did very well. They got, you know, they kind of, you know, they just, they had, they actually had such a good thing. They could have been bigger than the man if they'd just done things a little different. Yeah, we we've yeah. often we've often said that on the show talking about world class. If it was uh, maybe a marketing <laughs> strategy or you know more storylines, because we've always said it was it was the Von Erichs against the rest of the roster. There was no uh, developing right. anybody else. Right, and it's true, you know. And they just kind of you know they would eat one person up, get rid of them, and somebody else would come along. And a lot of people didn't want to go to the territory because they knew that that's what's going to happen to them. You know, and it's it's quite, it's really a, kind of a shame because truly they could have been where Vince McMahon was. And they were, you know, uh, they were actually, in a lot of the world, they were actually bigger. Uh, you know, I mean, it was the TV that went out of Lebanon just went all over the Middle East, and they could have really done something. You know, but it is what it is, and it's the way it happened. And, you know, for me, I have no animosity towards them, you know, other than the fact, you know, if, if um, they had paid better, you know, that was another problem that they had. They just couldn't pay enough. You know, if they paid better, I think they would have kept talent around, uh, you know, as well. But it was just difficult for them. They could have traveled, you know, in other parts of the world and actually done shows, but I think that Fritz, Kind of knew, you know, he was used to, you know, to the area there, and he didn't really want to go anywhere else. We did a few shows up, a few shots up into New York, and we had to, we pulled some good houses. But you know, when I started, um, you know, the first I remember the first uh, big show that I had done, it was huge, and then thereafter they just got smaller and smaller and smaller. Well, McMahon's was going the other way. You know, they were drawing bigger and bigger and bigger cars. So, you know, I mean, we kind of saw, you know, I mean, by the time that I was, that I did leave, you know, the houses that we were drawing just weren't, they weren't big. It's interesting you mentioned New York. Uh, I was just watching one of their DVD compilations today. And one of the shows you guys did, one of the television shows, Channel 11 maybe or 39, uh, eventually became a satellite channel and was doing bigger numbers, better ratings in the New York City area uh, than WWF programming was. Yeah, that was Channel 39. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's amazing you remembered that, John, because you barely remember anything. <laughs> I just watched it today, uh, so that's why I remembered. Uh, switching gears just a little bit, uh, you talk about Puerto Rico, uh, the World Wrestling Council, and, and working for Carlos Colon, uh, and in the book you say how it was kind of the same mentality, uh, only it was just one Carlos Colon as opposed to three, four, or five Von Erics. Uh, was there anything in that regard then much different? Was it any better? Did you enjoy it anymore? Look, um the thing with Puerto Rico was that I, when I went over there, I actually was shooting nine. I wrestled nine times in, you know, like three days. So they shot a lot of television. Uh, the difference is, 
that they pull, uh, meaning they shot a lot of television in one or two days, you know, so they would shoot three months of television in a couple of days. The difference is they were pulling big houses, you know, I mean, the, the crowds were, you know, really big in Puerto Rico and they're darn diehard fans. You know, they, uh, you know, we're, we, we filled stadium, you know, uh, where we wrestled, at least where I wrestled everywhere. We kind of, we kind of sold out. And quite frankly, in South Africa, I was growing houses, uh, bigger than world class. Yeah. Making a lot more money, even with the, uh, with the, uh, exchange rate, you know, because the, the, the rams of the dollar, you know, is not, you know, not that great, actually. You, you talk about, you know, South Africa and overseas a lot, eh, the tail end of your book here. And can, can we say that this is actually where you became a wrestler and you enjoyed it? This is where the stress was off you and you, um, as much as you enjoyed wrestling, because you, in your book, say you, you were never a wrestler, but this is where you really blossomed, right? Well, yeah, not only that, you know, I, it, it got me, you know, television, national commercials. They got me a lot of television work, uh, soap opera, movies, you know, a lot of different things that, you know, if it had been in the States and I had that, I, you know, I would have been a, making, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. In South Africa, you can, you can live off of it, but you're not going to get wealthy because it's a small, you know, it's a lot smaller country. You know, so, but, but it was very good. And, you know, I opened health clubs and uh, I got a lot from that. So, yeah, and I could pick and choose where I wanted to wrestle. You know, if I didn't want to wrestle, then I wouldn't go. You know, and if I did want to wrestle, I could wrestle as much as I wanted or as little as I wanted. Is there one city that no matter what, what was going on, you wanted to make sure that you were there? Was there one big city that you loved? Yes. Uh, it's not a city, but it's, uh, I don't know if you remember during apartheid, you probably, I don't know how old you are, but you, um, the apartheid, you know, prior, before 1992, before Nelson Mandela became, you know, president, uh, they, the, uh, community in South Africa, and sorry, in the States, uh, had actually, uh, done a song called I'm Not Gonna Play Fun City. Absolutely. You know, yeah. They had all the famous people. And uh, actually, it's kind of a catchy song. Well, anyway, that's one place I really like because, you know, it's not really in South Africa, but it's a place where uh, it's kind of like uh, Las Vegas of South Africa. So, you know, I mean, the weather's always good there. Uh, a lot of holiday people, uh, the Kruger National Park, you know, the, the game reserves right there. And so we would always sell out the uh, stadium there. And so I always wanted to be on that. Uh, and then in my hometown, Cape Town, uh, I always wanted to, to do the Good Hope Center. And we always pulled really good crowds. And because I was, a, you know, the local South African representing South Africa, you know, those people, you know, would come out and uh, support me. There was myself and a guy named uh, Donnie Fulkes that were the two top baby faces there. And he's actually, I just... I just got a, a, a uh, email from a friend of mine that said he, you know, he's actually in really bad shape. He had a stroke, and uh, he's been, you know, kind of in a decline. Actually, matter of fact, most of everybody that I wrestled with either dead or, uh, you know, uh, down and out. There's very few people that I know that were in world class. You know, if you, I was just the other day thinking how many people that I know that are actually, you know, either dead or, you know, I saw one guy that I used to wrestle with just got his leg cut off because he had, uh, uh diabetes. So I had a picture of him in the hospital that he's a friend of Dusty's of mine and, uh, got his leg cut off. So I, I was thinking how much tragedies happened to, especially the world class guys. Yeah, and you actually noted that uh, in the tail end of the book, you you listed a, a bunch of people that had passed, and yeah, uh, it, it's. Do you 
do you think getting out of, and I, I know you had a, a lengthier career than many people remember or know, but do you think getting out early on then um, kind of saved you, uh, keeping you in the great shape that you're in as well? Um, that probably, in reality, I don't know if I'd be alive if I had stayed there, you know, in, uh, in Dallas. Truly, because I was around everybody that did, you know, I mean, not to mention names, I won't, but, you know, everybody was, you know, they were taking pills to go to sleep, taking pills to wake up, they was, you know, snorting cocaine or methamphetamine to, to get going, you know, and when you're around that all the time, it's like, and, you know, everybody, not everybody, but many people took steroids too, and I've always taken steroids over, you know, over that whole time. Um, you know, anybody that says they, they don't, you know, that has a decent body and wrestling is probably lying to you. But anyway, um, so you just got used to it. And I mean, almost everybody. There's very few exceptions that, that didn't do, you know, drugs. And so, yeah, I was thinking about that. I, I don't know if I would have actually been alive. Uh, you talked about... Um the passion of the fans in Puerto Rico uh, and how you never yeah. really experienced some of the things you describe in the book as far as like, you know, the, the cups of urine getting thrown at you or anything because you were the good guy. Uh, did you experience anything somewhat similar? Was there anybody who just maybe didn't like Lance and, and wanted to try him on? Never. No. Well, that's never. good. No, I, you know, I actually, I think that, Maybe as I've gotten older that I'm uh, less likable, but there I, there was very few people that I didn't get along with in those days. You know, I, I just can't remember any. You know, I, um, that even I had a problem with. Maybe they didn't like me and they were really good at, you know, uh, hiding it, but I think everybody was pretty much, you know, that I've wrestled with or spent any time with. They were... They wouldn't have anything bad to say about me, I don't think. Maybe maybe Kevin, because I think he would be... I, I don't know, but I'm guessing he was hurt that I actually... They thought they gave me such a golden ball, you know, that you know that I, they were doing me such a favor by putting me into that. And so I'm sure they felt betrayed, you know, that I just, you know, that I, that I just wanted to just walk out and leave. You know, so I'm guessing that, and I don't have any animosity towards him at all. I don't dislike him. I wasn't close to him, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm guessing that's probably where a lot of that came from. And also the, some of the fans that were, you know, hurt, you know, because they wanted to see me do good, but then, you know, the way I was, the way that I left it, they betrayed it. They felt, uh, you know, they felt that I betrayed them. You know, and I've had people like me, because uh, I'm a very, I'm a very private person, you know, and so, but I've had people that have, you know, like, uh, sent me Facebook, you know, and just said, hey, listen, um, you know, we watched you, we were really upset that you lost, but now we kind of understand. Um, switching gears from wrestling a little bit, you're very business savvy. When you go to open something, it exceeds instantly. Um where did you where did you get your your business knowledge from? Um, I Vinny read a passage as well about how your mom um, starved you, and then you would like uh, more or less let's let's uh, call brass tacks here. You used your South African coin to steal Snickers and everything. But when you went all in, you were all in on every business. Um, where did you get that, uh, the gumption and the passion for everything that you did? Because you didn't leave no stone unturned. Yeah, you know, I, I just think that whenever, I'm just not lazy, you know. Um, and I think that if you put in hard work, whatever it is, you know, just if you put in enough time, you're going to be successful at whatever you do. If you like what you're doing and you're, you put enough time into it and you work harder than everyone else, you know, you're going to, you're going to do well. My, uh, my, uh, my lady here that uh, lives with me here in, in Mexico, we live in a little town that's, uh, four hours, you know, from Cabo. And, uh, 
it's amazing because in Mexico, very hard workers, but in this town, you know, people will, they take a siesta from one to four. And on Friday, you know, when people should come back after lunch, they don't. They actually just stay off the rest of the day. And then they miss Saturday and Sunday because it's the weekend. And then maybe you're lucky and they come back on, you know, Monday at 4 o'clock and go back to work. And, you know, my my lady was telling me, she said, we should put business in here because if you just stay open, you know, and run it right and give a good service, you're going to make money. Right. You know, with whatever you do here. And it's just because people just, you know, they just want to get by. You know, they're not doing going the extra mile. And, you know, I'm... I've been in sales for many years. And the same story. I don't think I have any better than anybody else. I just work harder. That, that's great advice. Just It really is just the way you said it. It's just work hard and you'll succeed in, in whatever you do instead of just half-assing it through life, right? But you have to also like what you're doing because there's nothing, you know, if you don't like what you're doing, you, you know, no matter how much you, you try to fake it, you, you know, you just... You need to put in the time if you just don't like what you're doing. And you know what I found is a lot of Americans, you know, uh, that I've met here in Mexico, they, you know, they they do a job that they hate. And I would say 70% of the Americans that I speak to here, I'm in the hotel industry now, uh, but 70% of the people that I talk to just don't like the job. And I can't imagine going to work hating your job. Uh, Yeah, well said. Uh, once again, you know, Mark, you blew through the book in one sitting. The pages you sent me, I blew through them right away. Um, one of the things I think we got out of it uh, were the stories. Uh, again, there, there's really not a crossword to be said, at least in anything I've read so far. If you if you were a wrestling fan, um, Mr. Barry tells some great stories um, just about the matches and some of the things that were going on. Uh, Lance, what's something you hope readers will get out of this book? I think a couple of things that what you see, you know, and what what you're watching on television is not, you know, it's uh, it's entertainment. It's not, um, you know, you have to whatever you see, you, you can't believe. You know, it's entertainment. It's double gun for the eyes, and it's not easy. You know, uh, it's these people to put on shows or. You know, there's, some of them are driving nine, ten hours. They get there and they, you know, they go to the dressing room. They put on their kit. They wrestle for 15 minutes. They wait until everybody's done, and they're driving nine or ten hours back. You know, so it's not easy. Um, and the people that watch should appreciate that, you know, they're, they're the people that like wrestling, obviously, because they're going to the wrestling matches. But these guys are entertainers, and they're, you know, they... They give up a lot to put on a show. And most of these people, not all of them, but most of these guys are second-generation wrestlers, you know, and that's all they wanted to do. So I think that, you know, there's a story behind the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you think that this, this book coming out now that you and Vinny wrote it together and collaborated on, is this the the final farewell of Lance? Um, I, I know you said your wrestling career is over in the book and everything, but could we see Lance maybe popping up now at like a signing or something like that? I mean, is is that something that maybe this book is going to lead to, or is this is the end all tell all? I'm out of wrestling. You know, I. I... I don't know. I never thought I, I listened to you. You know, I've never listened to a podcast. I've never, I've had many people write me and say, Hey, listen, you know, we'll pay you to come to, I don't know, wherever, you know, and you can, and I've never had an interest and I've never had an interest to do a podcast either. And I listen to you guys and, uh, it's Mark, right? Mark. Yep. Mark and John. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, uh, but I'm speaking to Mark. Correct. Okay, so I don't know. It was kind of like Vinny. I mean, many people, you know, contacted me and wanted me to write stuff, and I just didn't do it. And I told Vinny when uh, I listened to your podcast, and I, I just thought you did a really good job, you know. You, you, and I said, yeah, you know, Vinny, and he's asked me. He's 
asked me like, I don't know, Benny, how many times did you ask me to actually do a podcast? About four or five. Yeah, four or five times just recently, and I didn't want to do it. And when I heard you guys, I said, you know what, I don't want, I'll do it. I'll, I, I don't mind. And I called him, and I said, I don't mind doing it with these guys. And I don't know why. I just uh, thought you did a really good job. Nice. Well, Thank you. Mark, Mark, we are over with Lance Vaughn. I hope so. I hope so. We yeah, are. Well, don't be carried away. You're right. not over, but you did a good job. All right. Uh, see, you always go too far, John. Always too far. Lance, um, we'll, we'll open it up now. I mean, I, I ran through my question. Is there is there anything else you want to, you know, tell everybody about the book, about how uh, you want to throw Vinny under a bus once in a while? It's opened up to you now that anything you, you know, the, the floor is yours. You know, uh, just to tell you, it's not a book of just about the wrestling. It's about my journey, you know, in the wrestling, outside the wrestling, and on the way. You know, I've lived in um, eight different countries, you know, and worked in eight different countries. And, you know, I've been to 120 countries. And, you know, it's little stories. I mean, I wish I had time. You know, because I would think of something, and then he would say, oh, yeah, but we just got too much stuff. we got to kind of you know, whittle it down, you know, and, uh, you know, stories with, uh, some celebrities in California and just different things that, you know, I was, you know, uh, bombed on a train in India and we got, we talked a little bit about that and just some things that, that happened, you know, and, uh, there were so many of them that I, you know, along the way that I would have liked to tell, but you just, you only have, you know, you don't want to make a book that's, you know, 2,000 pages. You don't want to write the books as thick as War and Peace. So you just kind of got to figure out what, you know, what you can only give so much information and you can try to figure out what, you know, is relevant and, you know, save the, the you know, the other stuff for the second part of the book or second book. So, so is then that... you get ready for another two years. Yes, I was just going to say, so that's a spoiler here on Can Crushers that uh, Vinny's got to get his writing utensils back out because he's been slacking on you, Lance. He really has. Let me tell you, this guy, he's talking to me more than promoting books right now, buddy. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Well, I, we're going to do a, he doesn't know it yet, but we're going to do a uh, a, uh, a fictional book, too. So he's got to get ready for that as well. Nice. Lance, anytime you want to come on the show and uh, leave Vinny, I don't know, at a bar somewhere in Texas, that's fine. We'll welcome you back anytime. But I know you're a busy man, and we want to, you know, respect your time. So, uh, again, thank you for coming on Can Crushers. Vinny, thanks for setting this up. We had a blast. And uh, parting words, Lance? Parting words to anybody? No, I just want to uh, thank Vinny for taking the time because I know I'm not the easiest person to to get along. Well, not to get along with, but uh, you know, as I've gotten older, it's uh, a little more difficult to spend you know uh, two years and writing a book and calling somebody every couple of you know every few days. And so, you know, I think he did a really good job. And thanks for putting up with me because there was a couple of times that. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of wanted to say, you know, enough of this. Which is, and he kind of hung in there. So, kudos to him. He did a great job. I really did. I really do think he did a great job. You know. Oh, his head's getting big I, now. No, well, it, it was. You're not crying. You know you're what? Not crying, I, are you, Benny? No, I'm not. I'm not crying. Uh, but the, the Kleenex is close. But hey, you know, there was there was times that. I, you know, I felt like throwing in the towel too. And, but you know, it's like, um, this was the first time for me. And here's the thing is that, you know, I've known a lot of people throughout my life that said they, Hey, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to write a book. And you see him two months later and Hey, how's the book coming? I now and well, I'm not doing that anymore. And I get it. I mean, I totally understand why people don't finish their books. It, it you know, it's a long process and it's an exhausting process. And, uh, but, you know, going back to what Lance said too, it's like, you know, you got to love what you do. And, uh, I'm really glad that I stuck through with this project. And, and I think there was, you know, just 
just this process of calling each other, it, it was. It was exhausting for me, too, you know, like to hear him say, I don't know if I if I wanted to keep on doing this. And I felt like that, too. You know, I was like, oh, man, this is, yeah, this is the set time. That, you know, I mean, because it's, it's a long process, you know. But there was a point that I got to in the book because after we got all the interviews, like uh, a bulk of the interviews, there was a, uh, I didn't write for like nine months. Like I just didn't know I was trying, but I didn't know how the story was going to flow. Right. And, and then I got it to flow and I knew there was some point that I knew I was going to finish the book, you know, where there was a time where I didn't know, and I remember I told my wife one day we were having breakfast and I said, you know what? The pipe dream is over. This thing's getting published. And uh, I knew it. And I knew it was going to get done. And so, you know, to see the, the finished product, it's, it feels pretty good. And I, and Lance, I'm really glad that you did stuck, you, you did stick with me because it, you know, you shared, you got honest with me. Uh, a lot of people told me about, wow, you know, he's very honest. The, the, you know, he doesn't hold back. And, you know, I think that makes a good book when somebody opens up like that. And, you know, you were, you were willing to trust me, uh, with this project. And, and I'm glad you did. Well, a $150,000 retainer was, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it was a help too, you know. So. Nice. Now we're getting yeah, to the dirt of the book. Now we're getting to the dirt of the book that we enjoy about. <laughs> Money is always an incentive. Yeah. Right. All right, gentlemen. Again, thank you for spending some time with us tonight. We had a blast, and again, both of you always welcome on the show. Uh, thank you. There's nothing else I can say. This means a lot that uh, you came on Can Crushers to promote your book and tell us some silly stories about wrestling and Vinny. Well, and uh, read the I, book because uh, have your uh, people read the book; it'd be well worth their, you know, their time. I really do think that uh, not because it's for me, but I read it. You know, like when it was being put together, and if it wasn't about me, I would have read the whole thing. You know, I, I actually, I did read the whole thing in one shot. And, uh, uh, for me to, to, to read something all the way through in one shot, uh, it has to be fairly interesting. And again, that's not because of me. It's just the way you wrote the book. My wife said the same thing. She hasn't seen me in, read in 35 years. So she was shocked that I read the book on Monday all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and right, I would well, thank you. And, and I would just encourage everybody to go to the website. Go to www.lancebychance.com and order your copy. You won't be disappointed. Mark, we have interviewed some heavy hitters in the wrestling business, uh, and today was certainly no exception. Lance Vaughn with some terrific stories today, uh, not just about Dallas, but, geez, all over the world. I mean, this guy's been everywhere. Yeah, what did he just mention? Like, really, 120 countries? Something like that, yeah, yeah. yeah. 122 countries or something like that, yeah. Living in about nine? That That's amazing. That's amazing. Well-traveled human being. I mean, that. imagine having uh, the globe of the world. You could put those stickers on, like people on yeah. RVs. You know, Lance can just cover up the globe. He would cover up the whole, uh, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, he certainly would. Um, again, I want to reiterate, I know I've said this, what you sent me, what I read was so good. Um, and now uh, I simply can't wait to, to get my hands on a copy. Obviously, uh, you mentioned I have my own copy. So, uh, coming my way. So it's good to know people. This is great. Uh, this is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life is uh, joining you on this podcast. I agree. I agree. And it's going to change your life. No, um, Lance, though, man, he's such a, can I say humble? He's such a humble human being that he just told a story. Still, I, I want to, you know, say this over and over again: never throwing shade at uh, anybody. At anybody. Yeah. yeah, just hey, this is how my life in professional wrestling turned out, and I want to share it with people. Without giving away in the book, he says he wasn't a wrestler. He just he did stuff to get to his next step. 
and he he announced it. He's very successful in Mexico right now. Yeah, he he seems uh, not seems he has been very successful in anything he's he's put his mind to. So aside from wrestling, guys, you heard it. He's got some great advice. Um, love what you do. Give it a hundred percent, and maybe good things can follow. Um, it, it was great to talk to him. It really was. And Mark, again, you mentioned uh, he the book talks about his life in wrestling. But it also just talks about what was going on in wrestling at the time, which is so much fun to read in and of itself. It'll bring back great memories, guys. Um, and if you didn't know the stuff, it'll be intriguing. It'll be enlightening. Um, it's an enjoyable read. And we're over with Lance Von Eric. Easy. He, I tried that. And he told me to take it easy. So, oh, all right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm over maybe is what he meant. Maybe. Yeah. So. Yeah. I rub people the wrong way. So maybe, maybe it's me. Yeah. Remember, John, just because you're trash doesn't mean. You can't do great things. It's called a garbage can, not a garbage cannot. Yeah.